we want to talk about biblical stewardship and, and what that looks like um, and how it pertains to, to uh, us as believers. Um, a couple things, I, I, as I was reviewing, I, I laid out three different things I want to accomplish this morning. One is to take a, a quick audit of our checkbooks. And when you think of an audit, you're probably starting to squirm a little bit. I've, I've been through an audit in the past, and they're not always fun. But they are often revealing, and uh, they often uh, give you some direction. So I'm praying this morning as we take an audit of our checkbook, uh, we might find out uh, what God has us doing there. I also want to look at the origin of our money. We have what we have. Where did it come from? Right? The origin of it. We work hard for it. We, we, we do things to gain it. Um, and we have, we have rights to it, right? I, I would believe. I want to look at that. I also want to consider how we would rebalance our checkbooks. Uh, recently, Jen and I did a, a financial study, and, and we were talking about rebalancing some of the things uh, in our finances, and I think it's a healthy thing to do. So I want to rebalance not only our checkbooks, but also maybe our minds this morning as we look at that. So those are some of the things we want to cover. So I want to open up in prayer. Lord, I pray this morning, God, that our hearts would be open to you, Lord. I pray that the truth and the truths out of your word would ring true this morning, Lord, and clear. I pray that you would uh, use this this morning, Lord, to challenge each and every one of us. Um, just as our songs say, Lord, all we have is yours, Lord. As uh, Dusty reminded us, Lord, we, we need to lay it all at your feet. And so I pray this morning just for half an hour or 40 minutes, Lord, we can, we can do that. We can close out the outside, lock down our minds, and and focus on these things, Lord. What would you have us to do with what we've been entrusted with, Lord? Guide us this morning as we look through that. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Now, Jesus spoke about money just about more than any other subject in the, in the Bible. In fact, he's talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. It was mentioned more in, in God's word. So I was, as I was reading that, I thought, well, if Jesus talked about it so much, why don't we talk about it as, at a church, right? I think it gets uncomfortable talk about our money, right? It puts us in a position of, it kind of tests our heart, where our hearts really are. But this morning, I want to do that. I, I want to talk about your money and my money. So I'm preaching to myself here as well. I want to start out with Ed and Mark. Um, I'll warn you that today is going to be full, full of verses in Scripture because when I prepare for something, I don't want it to be the gospel of Duane because that can be heresy often, right? I want it to be based in God's Word. So we're going to flip through the Bible a lot. A lot of the verses are going to be up on the screen, which reminds me, I know you can be oohed and all at, these scripture, at, the, at the, the slides, but the, thanks to Bailey for putting them together. So I wrote it down on a scratch piece of paper, so thanks for Bailey for helping me put the, the PowerPoint together. So Mark 12, 41 through 44, let's read that. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow woman came and put in two very small coins, but worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Put in everything, she put in everything, all that she had to live on. I found it interesting um, that Jesus was close enough to that woman to see she only put in two coins. And I thought, well, what's the significance of that? Well, he, he is watching, right? And the fact that he, he pointed out to the, his disciples to teach them a, a lesson. 
Um, did he question her wisdom? Did he talk about, look at uh, this poor woman. She gave away everything she had. She didn't, she, he didn't condemn her. He actually gave her a, a commendation, right? He said to her that, I tell you the truth, this poor woman has given more than the others. He made it a point to tell his, to tell his disciples, and I wonder why. why. Why do you think he made it a point to tell his disciples that? I think Jesus regarded the widow as wise, not foolish. I think he set her up as a model for the disciples to follow. I think he placed her story in the annals of history, right? We, most of you probably have read that story before. And I must say that if that woman would have come to me and asked me what to do with the last two coins, I probably would have said, honey, why don't you hang on to them? You know, we'll take care of this. We'll, we'll figure another way around it. But that's not what God said. God, that's the ways of the world to hang on to what we have. So the passage should make us think um, that what we do with our money, those of us who think what we do with our money is our business, we should kind of take pause at that. This kind of throw, goes in the, throws in the face of that, that God, uh, Jesus actually makes it about him, right? His, this is his money. So the question I ask myself and I'll ask you, what if I was the example Jesus used, you know, in my offering plate? What would, what would my story tell? What would, he be, what would he be telling me? Would I be the part of the widow that was faithful? Would I be a part of the one that gave more out of my, out of my gain? It's not, it's not, it can be uncomfortable to think about that, but it, it made me uh, realize how important money is to God, and it's not mine. Um, but why, why, is it, why wouldn't it be God's, right? Why should we be, if, if we believe everything we have is God's, why should we be ashamed to let him look into our, into our checkbooks and see what we're doing? That's what we want to do this morning. We want to take a look at our checkbooks. So here's the audit part of our message today. Um, again, take a look at your checkbook. I want, and you, you can physically pull it out. You don't have to. Maybe you don't even have checkbooks anymore. So I'm probably preaching to like people that are like 40 to 50 years old. But the idea is to think about where you're spending your money. Mentally think through that. right? And if you haven't done that, it's a good, it's a good practice to do. So take a look at your checkbook. Take a look at your credit card statement and see exactly where you're, where you're spending your money. I suspect if you're like most Americans, um, you have an electric bill, you have a water bill, you have a heating bill. You know, if you're going to heat, propane is a good choice. It's clean, <laughs> it's efficient, it's cost-effective, it'll fit in your budget. So if you want to know more about that, you can talk to myself or my brother afterwards. But I'm not just talking about what, I'm not just talking about those necessities of life. I'm talking about the other things, you know. Um, are, we, are you a card-holding member of Applebee's or the Chick-fil-A club? You know, the, or, are you involved in uh, all those uh, worldly things that, that take our time and our treasure? You know, are, you a, are you a shoe collector? Do you have shoes? Do you have clothing? Do you have cars? There's all kinds of things we can get involved in. I'm talking about those other things, not the necessities of life. But to be transparent, um, if you looked at my finances over the past year and what I was involved in and things I was making decisions on or where my time was, you'd see a picture of this thing. Now, that's my truck, but I spent a lot of time and energy on that thing, and I directed a lot of finances around that. And that would be, if I was honest, that would, that would be the picture of my last probably 12 to 16 months of a lot of my time and energy was put into that thing. I'm trying to find it in God's Word. I think there's going to be Peterbilt's in heaven, but I haven't yet found it. That's just my own take. But you can insert your picture there, your story. And if you don't have one, if, if, if just a short time we had to look into your checkbook, nothing was revealed to you, I, I challenge you to go back and think about it because it will tell a story. 
Last week, Adam uh, talked about, he said that money tells a story about what we do with our possessions. It's an indicator of our hearts. It's an indicator of our hearts. So that's a convicting statement. Don't hear me say this morning that money is wrong. There's lots of stories in God's word about people that had wealth and used it for good. I was just reading in Kings the story of Solomon. And Solomon, I never read, knew this, but he had a, a fleet of ships. And he would sail around the world, and it says every three years, those ships would return full of gold, full of silver, full of ivory and, and other things. Every three years. So he was building wealth. He, he built a palace. But if you know the story, he also built a temple for God, right? God used his wealth to do good things. God can use money, his money, to do good things. So don't, don't hear me say that wealth is wrong. If it's not used properly, it can be. It's more than just about the money this morning. It seems we, better, we need to better understand what place money has in our lives. In its proper place, it can be a powerful tool for the kingdom. Um, I have a few questions to, to go through the audit, to finish the audit. What is it that we value most? What do we value most? Now, the world, for me, it was maybe that Peter built. For, for the world, they say, you know, maybe it's a, a diamond ring. Maybe it's a new car. Uh, maybe it's a, an amazing vacation or a resort. Um, those things aren't necessarily bad, but is that where my value is? Is that what I'm thinking of? Is that what's occupying my time? Second question I want us to ponder is, what will we hate to lose? What out of those things we just talked about briefly, what are things you would hate to lose? The world, we spend millions of dollars insuring things, right? We spend millions of dollars on security. We spend lots of time and energy holding on to those things. And we are, we are called to be good stewards. But how tight? How tight are we hanging on to that? That one possession that you would hate to lose if you lost it, would your world come to an end? You know, Would it come crashing down? That should be a, a yellow flag of like, you know what? I'm probably hanging on a little too tight to this. No, Art, you can't have my Peterbilt, by the way. Where do your thoughts turn to most frequently when you have time to dream? In other words, what do you dream about? What are the things you talk, you, you're, that are in your mind? Are your, are your dreams focused on you as you're, as you're having opportunity to, to think about the future? Do you think about a time when you're going to have enough? to do those things you want to do. The world says you're going to be successful. Are you thinking about retirement? I read a little article that said retirement is when your, when your savings account goes down and your medicine cabinet fills up. So that's what retirement is. But think about it. Where am I spending my time? What, what, is, what is I, am I dreaming about? Is, is it all resolving around me? And I dare say, as I looked at my own heart, a lot of it was. A lot of it was the things that I was hoping to accomplish, the things that I was hoping to reach a certain point uh, in my life. So I suspect a true audit will tell the story that we all are indeed attached to our money. We are. Maybe some more than others, but the fact is we are. I want to look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21 this morning. Another one, another passage. Uh, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love the way this passage points out a proper perspective, right? 
on how we should view our possessions. It talks about things in this world that rust, that decay, that are left outdoors. A few weeks ago, my family and I were down at the beach for a couple days, and as I was walking around or the house we're staying, it's a beautiful house, I was noticing lots of stuff that the sea, sea water and the sea breeze was destroying, right? Things were rusting, brass, fancy brass, brass things were kind of tarnishing, and doors were getting rusty, and even things that were made to be outside, like his deck that was made out of pressure-treated lumber, was still succumbing to the, to the elements around. That's what this world offers us, right? The world offers us things, but that verse tells us that the, they're going to they're gonna be destroyed. They're going to rust. They're going to decay. So are we, using our, are we going to use our gifts that God entrusts us, entrusts us with to purchase things that will only last a short time? We live, we live kind of in, in a society that tells us that's what we need to be doing to build up our estates. But I wanted to, to go back and think about all those things we talk about, the one common denominator is, is me, right, is you. The things we buy are often about us. I didn't say it was going to be comfortable. I didn't say it was going to be easy. However, I wanted to be real this morning because this is where we live, right? We live this, this story. Verse 21 tells us, where our treasure is there, your heart will be also. I recently read a book by Randy Alcorn called The Law of Rewards, and in it, he states that money doesn't simply indicate where our heart is. According to Jesus, it determines where our heart is going to go. He goes on to say that if our money is in mutual funds, your house, your hobby, your retirement, that's where your heart's going to be. So wherever your money is, your heart's going to follow it. At first I read that, I'm like, I don't know if that's true, but it's true if you really think about it, because that's where your mind is, and that's what you're, put, that's what you're toiling for. So we can not only predict you know, where our money is today in this audit, we can also predict out of if we, choose, we figure out where our money is going, that's where our hearts are going to go. Let's talk about the audit. I want to keep it short, but I, I challenge you, if, if you didn't come up with one or two things in there, um, to think about it even the rest of this week. What, what does God put on my heart or things that I'm holding on to too tightly or things that I call my own? So I want to look at the origin of what we have to help explain a little bit about how we're supposed to use these things. I mean, let's be real. Right? We work for this, right? We sweat, we toil, we put in 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, whatever. So it's mine, right? I, I have a right to it. I earned it. I want to take a quick look at Scripture and see what it has to say about what we as humans can really claim, lay claim to, what it talks about. You know, the first book in the Bible, the first chapter and the first verse addresses this, which is kind of cool. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said it was good. Beginning, right? We don't lay claim to anything. God created everything we see, all this creation. It's not ours. We don't own it. God created that. So we can, I think we can all agree about that. Let's keep looking. Verse 24 of Psalms, Psalms 24.1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, so that only all his so that not only all his creation, so not only all his creation is his, but all who live in it. So the origin of the earth is by God, and this in Psalms it talks about all who live in it. So we as humans belong to him, right? So we're, so far, the, you, are you getting the theme of this? We, we're belonging to God. James 1.17 finally says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything it says there, right? It doesn't say some things. It says everything good in your life comes from a distinct source. Where does it come from? I think people struggle to realize that all these blessings that we have, all this wealth we have, we like to think it's ours. That verse contradicts that. That verse says everything comes from God, right? So I think we must realize and accept that all good things are, are from him. And until we can connect with that, until we accept that, we're constantly going to battle our flesh, right? What would the world have you believe about these things? It's a stark contrast to what we just went through there. The world says in the beginning was this big bang, right? <clears throat> just by happenstance, the earth came into existence. It just was a, kind of a, a, a mistake, and, it, and we were just, we're all <clears throat> part of this natural disaster, but that's what came. The, the world was, was uh, the earth was, was blown into existence. And as for you and I, <clears throat> the human race, I mean, it's all about us, right? We're here for a reason. We're here just to conquer. We're here to make sure we have what we need. The world has us believing that it is about us. And if it's okay for you, if it's right for you, that's okay. That's what it's about, right? If, we're, if we are satisfied, then we are experiencing the good life, right? If we're satisfied, the world tells us that's where you want to be. We don't need to answer to anyone or anything, right? We have the right to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We have the right to choose. And as for the blessings, the blessings, Devin, you heard that verse, you know, God helps those who help themselves. I hope you didn't because it's not in the Bible. But that's what the world says, right? The world says... It's all about us. We, we get these blessings because we worked for it. And so we get to enjoy the fruit. I, read, uh, I listened to a program the other week, and it talked about millennials and how I'm going to pick on millennials a little bit, but how they now are not even interested in finishing their four years of college. They feel like they want to be able to get out into the workplace and start up at the top. They don't want to work for what, they, what used to be a four-year program and then come into a, a into a business and start to work. There's an expectation that they shouldn't have to go through all that, right? And that's what the world tells us. The world tells us that we shouldn't have to wait. We should be able to get what we want when we want it. Is that true? You think that's true? Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be true? Now, if you want a Big Mac, you no longer have to get in your car and drive to McDonald's. You get on your phone, you can Uber Mac your Big Mac right to your sofa, right? You don't have to, that's what the world tells you. Right away, you can do what you... You don't even have to wait anymore. The, the world, the advertising tells us that we shouldn't have to wait. We deserve it. I mean, hey, we work for these things. You shouldn't have to get off the sofa and you know, do all... You should be able to get what you want now. That's what the world is telling us. And when we, when we buy into that, we start listening to that, we start to believe it is really all about us. Yeah, I do deserve that. I'm hungry for a Big Mac now for some reason. Contrast that to those verses, what they tell us about how we're supposed to live and the proper perspective on things and the way we look at life. <clears throat> unbelievers view life at the beginning, birth, and death. Right? That's what unbelievers view it as just between these two posts. As to the future, they look really no further than they're where they're at. They don't look up to the future. If you're, not a, if you're not a believer, you don't believe what's coming after death, this is where you spend your life in these two, in these two little uh, boundaries. So with that perspective on life, if that's, if that's our perspective on life, even as believers, 
Aren't we going to make mistakes? Aren't we going to make, come to conclusions that are wrong? We're going to make decisions that are just focused on us because we're living in this little portion of, of, of our, our life. If that's really all there is, why would I deny to myself? Why wouldn't I make sure I take care of my possessions and make, take pleasure in what I've earned? That's what the world has been telling us. So we can use our time and our ability and our money for our own satisfaction and to meet our needs. Remember what it says about the things of this world, they're going to rust, decay, vermin will take, take them. We can use our time and talents to, or we can use our time and talents to build things for the kingdom. As Christians, we should actually have a complete different perspective on our lives. Life is the preface. It's not the book, right? It's, it's the preseason. It's not the season. Our life here is about what we're doing in these Boundaries is, is part of where we've been blessed at now, but there's much more to this, right? As we read in God's Word, it, it tells us that. I believe with that perspective, God wants us to use the things that we've been blessed with, our possessions, to build His kingdom. Not only build His kingdom here on earth, but also in heaven. It talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Last week, Adam referenced the fact that um, one of the gifts of the treasures in heaven was going to be seeing people up there that, you, that came to know the Lord. Now, I agree with that, I, but I also think today it's talking about physical treasures laying up physical things in heaven, uh, a, a gifts. It talks about crowns of, of glory. It talks about those things in God's word. <clears throat> so taking what we have to be given for the use towards kingdom building, events, <clears throat> relationships, and then receive the reward in our investment. They say there's only two certainties in life, which is death and taxes. It's half true because people can avoid paying taxes, right? But death is 100% going to happen, right? Unless God returns today, which he may, but it's, it's 100%. Anybody who is born is going to die. I'll look at, look at Ecclesiastes 8.8 to back up that. It says, no man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. We can't change the fact, right? The fact is we're going to die. We can be, but we can be prepared for what lies ahead. The most important thing to prepare for is where are you going to spend eternity? We're talking about finances today, right? Talking about money. But we can't use our time and our talents and our money to buy our way into heaven. That's not, it's not in God's word. It's not in here. The real, the real, the real, the truth about it is the fact that, um, we can receive it simply by confessing our sins, asking him to forgive us our sins, allow him to enter into our hearts, right? Allow him to change our lives from the inside out. And it says we will be saved. It's a precious gift. Romans 10.9 says it even better than I can. This is a great verse to underline or highlight if you haven't already. But if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe him in our hearts, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the important thing today, guys. If you, if you don't have that answered, any life that doesn't address that, that point of eternity and what that's going to look like is a wasted life. So address that today if you haven't already, but as believers, if we've addressed that, there's more to life than these boundaries. So how does it tie into my possessions and my money and my treasure? When I really have so little, I truly can't give out of excess. I don't have anything to give away, right? I want to give you some interesting statistics that I came across this past week. It may change your mind. We live in a country of unparalleled affluence, a country where the poverty level exceeds the average standard of living in nearly every other society in human history, 
past or present. So our poverty level is actually higher than the standard of living in any other society, past or present. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a home that shields you from the, from the weather, you own some kind of reliable transportation, you're in the top 15% of the world's economy. Add some, add some savings, two cars, any condition, variety of clothing, maybe, maybe uh, uh, some other savings, and now you've, you've reached the top 5% of the world's economy. So you might think, well, I'm not wealthy. I, I, I struggle. Did you fit in those categories anywhere? Do you have any of those things in your life? I think as Americans, we don't like to compare ourselves to the world. We like to compare ourselves to the mega wealthy, right? The, the, the uh, Bill Gates of this world and some of those people. But that's what we do. We, we think we're not wealthy, but in the eyes of the world, we really are. We've been given a lot. So what are we, what is, why is that important? Why is it important to realize where we are at in the world's economy? I want to take a look at God's word to see what, they, what he says about it. Again, it's not, it's not the gospel of Duane. This, this is what God's word said. Romans 14, 10, and 12 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account for ourselves. Talks about giving an account for what we've been given. Luke 12, 28 says it as well. It says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. Doesn't talk about regions of wealth. Doesn't talk about geographical locations or comparisons or spreadsheets with weighted averages compared to those what they're making around you. It says, everyone who has been given much, and if you're in the top 15% or 5% of the world's economy, haven't you been given much compared to the world? If you're in that group, you're a part of the haves, not the have-nots. God has entrusted us with much as individuals in the eyes of the world, and in his eyes. We'll be judged by how we handle that. I truly believe that, what we've been given. God's word tells us that. So as you look at that, you look at the origin of our money and whose it is and what we've been given, I think we can agree that we're all in that top most likely in that top 15% of the world's economy. What are we called to do? We're called to be good stewards. We're called to use what we've give, been given for his glory. So I want to enter into the third stage, which is the rebalancing of our checkbook. This is the good stuff. We want to, focus, we want to refocus our minds. Often our view is that when we give money away to ministry, to local ministry, we often think it's gone, right? Our view, our mindset is, like, I'm going to break this check out, I'm going to give it, and that's it. That's the world's mindset. A biblical view of that is, no, we're investing, right? And what does an investment do? Investment should grow. Investment should return, should give you some return. So we want to invest our finances in things that will grow, right? When we should be viewing that as an investment, our citizenship is in heaven. If we are believers, why have we become so attached to this, this kingdom, this world? so much so that we are living for the wrong kingdom. As we plan for the future, we should always keep in mind that in the end, our material possessions have zero value. When we were at the beach the other week, uh, Allie was telling me a story about the Lenape Indians. They would come down to the Seattle City region, and they would collect seashells. 
and all these shells they were using for currency. So as they collected all these shells, they took them back to their villages and they would trade them. As I was preparing for this message, I'm like, isn't that what we're doing? Like, if I, if I offered Art 40,000 seashells for his car, would you buy it? Would you let me buy Art? That currency is, is, is of no value, right? Similar to what we do in this world, we're taking our money, our cash, and we're saving it, we're hoarding it, and when we get to heaven, it's, it's going to be of no value. It's going to be like carrying seashells into the bank and depositing them. It's not going to be of any value. So God, God's already telling us that, right? Yet we keep hanging on to it. We're hanging on to those seashells like it's going to be something of value. Even if we could somehow take our money to heaven, which we can't, it's worth nothing. I read this statistic the other day. It said, it, it was not a statistic, but it was an interesting commentary. It said, five minutes after we die as Christians, we will understand exactly how we should have lived. We'll have clarity on what was important and what wasn't. And the great thing is, as we rebalance our checkbook and rebalance, rebalance our minds today, we don't, we don't have to wait until five minutes after we pass away to rebalance. Because God's word tells us that, right? We already know that, if we're honest. If you've been at Journey for one month or five years, you've heard the book out of this book, the truth of God's word, right? We've talked about the example of Jesus, how his disciples were, were, were living a life of boldness. We've talked about uh, loving our neighbors as ourselves, seizing our words with the gospel. We've talked about the beauty of the Christmas story and the, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. we talked about, uh, Pastor Adam has challenged us in the past to, to welcome our neighbors into our homes, into our communities, take care of the needy in our body and our communities. I dare say if we have questions on how we ought to live and how we ought not to live, it's right here, guys. It's in this book. This is what it has value everlasting. Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, I want to read that, and I want to read it out of the message. I don't usually use that version, but it's a, it's a cool story, and out of the message, it kind of puts it in, in today's perspective. And now my thing won't stand. So this is out of 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And like I said, I'm going to read it out of the message, so it'll sound a little different, but it has a different take on it. Now, friends, I want to report to you a surprising and generous, the, the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the church in Macedonia. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there. I saw it. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out the relief of the poor. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had given, first given themselves unreservedly to God, and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purpose of God working in their lives. That's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention so that what was so well begun could be finished up. You do so well in so many things. You trust God. You're articulate. You're insightful. You're passionate. You love us. Now, do your best in this too. I'm not trying to order you around against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as stimulus to your love, 
I'm hoping to bring the best out in you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. I just love the example of that. So how, what made it possible for the church of Macedonia to give so sacrificially? It said, they, it said they, they were poor, but they wanted to give. They had a desire to give. They had a high view of who God was, right? They put God up here. They realized all they had really was his. So giving generously was like just giving it back to them, right? That was the least, that was the, the least of the response they could have. They had such a love for him. Can we generate that? Can we have that same thing? Verse 9 talks about the generosity of our master, Jesus. And in fact, before he came down, he had everything, right? God, we, we established that he was the creator of this earth. He created us. All good gifts are from him. So he had everything. Comes down to earth, lives his life as a man. And at the end, when he's on that cross, he literally had nothing, right? He was as poor as poor could be. He couldn't even speak for his life. He, he, he laid it down. And after his death and burial and resurrection, we, were, we, were, we had the opportunity to be heirs to that kingdom by his death. He was poor so we could become rich. When really the table should be turned, right? We sh- we, we're the poor ones, right? We should be. But by God's gift, we have the ability, we have access to all those, all those things. I wanted to look at the, the fact that in that story, out of that love for us, we should have the love for him that moves us off that throne, right? Are you on the throne of your own life? If you look at that story of the cross and what he did, and we're occupying the throne, we need to put Jesus back on that throne. He needs to occupy that space for us to have a correct view of the possessions and that should translate into a generous heart. It's quite a picture, guys, of what he did for us. And that helps us, at least it helps me, to, to put into perspective the things that I have. It can put the proper value on, on my possessions. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under pressure, under compulsion, for God's love, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that that picture of sowing generously and sowing sowing, um, sparingly because it's so true. I know people here that have that gift of giving. I, I, I know you by heart. I know you by name. I know people love to give. Have you ever had that perfect give that you were, that gift that you were going to give to someone and you knew it was going to be hit? Did you, did you count the cost? I suspect you never gave it a thought, right? As you, give them, as you watch that person open that gift, you see the joy in their eyes. The money fades away. When we better understand who it is that we're giving to and what the things we're giving for in light of eternity, we become more willing to open up our checkbooks and give cheerfully. If we understand all that we have is God's and that we are caretakers of our possessions, we're 
We are caretakers of the possessions he's given us and trusts us with, including our money. Guys, our mindset should change. Right? Our mindset on our money should say, shouldn't say, what should I give to God? How much of my money should I give to God? Our mindset should really be, what of God's money should I keep for myself? What that God has given me, how much of God's money should I keep? If we're really viewing it that way, when I read that, it struck a chord with me, like, you know what? This, this is all God's money. And yet, I'm the one kind of divvying it out as to who, what I'm going to give back to God, but really it's God's money. Isn't 10% sort of sparingly sowing for the top 15% of the world's economy? I prefer to, to reap generously as opposed to sparingly. Again, the, the, the world would have you believe that giving gifts to the church somehow equates to you getting something back now. I want to clear that up because nowhere in God's word does it talk about if you give today, you're going to be blessed today or tomorrow. And you hear that from some pulpits. I disagree with that. doesn't mean you can't be. doesn't mean you won't be. But that's not the reason we're giving. If you're giving for that reason, you're, you're, you're missing the whole point, right? It's not true. That's, that's man's gospel. I'm talking about giving so you can receive eternal treasure. The rewards and the reaping, I believe, we're talking about in that scripture is, again, eternal rewards. Matthew 6.20, getting back to that, it says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Our motives should always be eternal. Just like all that we say and do here on earth should point to the people to the gospel, I believe our motives for our wealth should be the same. We've been entrusted with what was meant to help build that same kingdom. I think we need to give the ministries that are doing just that. One of our family's prerequisites is running things through the lens of the gospel, right? Figuring out things that are going to build his kingdom. In my mind, giving to a local soccer team or the Flyers fight for life, fight for life, they're not bad things. They're good things. But I don't think that's what God's word is talking about when he's talking about giving of your wealth and giving of your treasure. I'm, I believe he's talking about things that are going to build his kingdom. So again, as a family, one of the things we do is we run that through the lens of the gospel. Are these ministries going to help people understand better God's word? Are they going to build his kingdom? Are they going to reach, give people opportunity through, it can be through building things, it can be through financial things, providing food, can be sending missionaries. It can be in our communities. Open up your home. Are the things you're involved with building a kingdom here? Are they building a kingdom here where I'm at? A challenging thought. So what we've been given, what we've been trusted with, if we stand before the Lord and he asks how we use what we've been blessed with, because we've, we've, I think we've established we have been blessed if I stood before him and he asked where my monies were going, could I say, yes, a majority of my money that you entrust me with is helping build that kingdom you talk about in your word, giving back to you, supporting gospel-based ministries that gave people a chance to hear the truth. Sobering thought, but it's true, right? Where are we spending our money? So what did that audit reveal about your heart and your treasure? What did it, what did it tell you about where your, where your heart is? If you don't have an answer, that's okay. Keep digging because it's there. Your money will tell that story. What did it challenge you with today? I pray that if it didn't challenge you, go back and read some of those scriptures that we had up on the screen. 
because I think God has a different plan for our money than we do. In fact, I know he does. So what does God's word say about our rights and our possessions? What about the origin of our money? The origin of our money, we, we said it, right? It's not our own. Everything we have belongs to him. We're basically renters, right? We don't own anything here. We're caretakers. We're given a gift of something. We're supposed to be good stewards. doesn't say we can't enjoy life. We, like I said, Solomon had blessings and used it, but he also used it for God's kingdom building. What are some of the adjustments that you need to make about your finances? What, are the, what is the rebalancing part of your life? Consider that today. Maybe it is uh, the way you're giving. Maybe it is the things you're using your money for. Maybe, it is, maybe you're in debt. Maybe you can't even begin to give. Work, work towards a goal of having, and it's not about the amount. Remember the first story we talked today? That woman had two coins. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't giving out of her excess. God doesn't care about your money. God doesn't care about my money. He cares about our heart, right? At the end, you know, we're going to show up to heaven with, you know, six Peterbilt full of she shells. And he's going to say it's useless, right? Are we building this, this uh, empire around the money that has, we've been told, we've been told in here that it has no value. So it's not about your money. It's not about your amount. Where's your heart? Maybe it is two coins. I mean, I think he used that story for a purpose, right? That's about as small amount of coins as you can give, two coins. You couldn't hard, she couldn't have given much less, right? One. But yet she was rewarded. She was, she was used as an example because of her heart. That's what God wants to hear from us today. So I pray that this week, as you open up your wallets to buy something, or if you throw your credit card in that thing at Walmart, that you'll think about, what, what, is, what is this doing? Is this something I need to survive? And, and may, it may well be. It could be a, a, you know, something that need, you need to support. But it also might be the fact that you're, you're spending things, you're using some of God's money, and you're building your kingdom. And you're not building his kingdom. So in the end, we need to put Jesus on the throne of our life, right? I truly believe that. God has to be on that throne. And so I challenge myself and I challenge you this morning. If Christ is not Lord over my money, then he's not our Lord. If he's not Lord over your money, if, if you don't run things through that lens, I want you to be challenged to start to do that. You call him Lord, right? But Lord, I'm only going to give you 10%. I'm going to manage this 90%. And I'm only going to give you 10%. Again, it's not about the, the, the amount, even the percentage. It's about your heart. Is the Lord the Lord over your money? I pray that he is. And that's a prayer request. We have to pray. Just like we have to pray every day to be aware of our neighbors and aware of the opportunities we have, we need to pray to use our, our gifts to build his kingdom. So let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, I am grateful, Father, for the truth of your word, Lord. I thank you that you are in the big things and the little things. I thank you, Lord, that you provide for us, whether it's two coins or 10,000 coins. I thank you, Lord, for the examples that you've recorded in history and that you didn't just leave us to live in these two boundaries of 
being born and then dying and then living in this party for 40 or 50 or 70 or 100 years. But we have purpose. You've given us purpose. How are we using our gifts, Lord? The money that I have, the money that is out here in, this, on these, in these seats, Lord. How can we use it to build a community that loves you, a community that cares for the needy, cares for one another, and out of that caring, Lord, out of that caring, people come to know you. But what are you challenging us with this morning, Lord? I pray that we lay that down, Lord. I pray that we, we understand in, in this audit, Lord, that you worked in our hearts, that you, you challenged us, and that you challenged me to get a real picture of what I'm doing. You realize, you explain, Lord, the origin. Everything we have is yours, God. There's, there's nothing we bring, Lord. We're a lost, broke people. We're carrying seashells, Lord. For Pete's sake, they're worth nothing, yet we're carrying them. We're holding on to them, Lord. Lord, break us of that, God. Break me of that. May the world's voices that are loud and coming through the television and radio, and Lord, may they be silent, Lord. May we hear them for the lies of the enemy that they are. Lord, the song is, our life is not our own. Lord, it's not. Lord, you don't call us to live in poverty. You don't call us to live wasting life, Lord. You call us to live abundantly. Lord, what do we need to readjust today, Lord? What do we need to reevaluate, God? I pray, Lord, that this morning you would do that in my heart, Lord. Do that in the hearts of each one here this morning, God. Lord, we know... You have the ability to change that, Lord. You're the creator of this world. You created us. Every good thing comes from you. Why are we holding on so tight, Lord? Help us to let that go, even this morning, God. We praise your holy name, Lord. We are thankful that we have an opportunity to meet. We're thankful that even though we were lost, we can be found by you. We ask these things in your son's name.